Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. So welcome back. This is part two of the Scheduling Delays podcast. Obviously, last last week or the last recording, Ray and Duane were a little doom and gloom on things, but Duane towards the end was warming up towards some solutions that we might look at. And I thought it was interesting as some of the last comments about change management and whatnot. And in essence, you were touching on the fact that part of the solution is being more proactive than reactive and that the fundamental challenge in the construction industry as we face now, I would say the development industry, is a lot of people tend to look about what's happened in the past rather than proactively looking at what can happen in the future. And you were touching on the problems with change orders and how they could lead to significant schedule delays. I would also add maybe even the buyout process often doesn't focus on schedule and constructability. So what's the sort of solutions around that, Duane, you see in that buyout process, in that change management that you can really act, a developer can make their life easier now for two years out? So, I mean, there's, there's various things that you can do. And, and I think that and unfortunately scheduling very often isn't given enough attention and, and it, it isn't used um, as a tool to to manage or, or monitor uh, or control a project. So certainly, as you mentioned, the proactive element of it is very important. So, you know, if you have the expertise to uh, evaluate a, a, a construction schedule for constructability, um, have you evaluated all the, all the risks? I mean, there are various uh, ways that you can evaluate, you know, the different streams of work. You can sort of test um, the schedule to see, you know, if we if we do anticipate, you know, some delays in the permitting or, you know, a potential slower than usual winter work period, you know, when we are when we are doing um, activities outside. Um, various different things, or, or you know, if we if we know that there is, um, you know. An, an issue in the market with formwork or, or with, you know, drywall, you know, and, and these are, you know, these are just common trades that I'm, I'm picking out that I know I've had issues. Um, there are ways to test the schedule. You know, if we lose you know, 20 to 30% productivity, what does your schedule look like? And, and what does it look like for other trades? Because, you know, one, one trade can have an impact across, you know, various streams of work. So I would say the proactiveness in really understanding your schedule and really putting it to the test, uh, to doing like a fidelity check to make sure that the the schedule operates in the right way if things move. Uh, the biggest challenge is you'll find a lot of these schedules have missing logic or, or haven't quite been built um, to model situations where you have issues in a particular trade that cascades throughout your project. So you're, you're never really getting a true reflection of um, your completion date. I would say from a developer perspective, you're, you're even looking at the schedule at a much higher level. So, you know, you, you have a, 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 a tower development to, so let's say, a, a residential tower with, you know, 70 odd, odd floors, but you're only seeing at a high level, you know, your envelope finishes and, and, and P, PDIs all lumped, lumped into one activity, there's no way for you to really understand if that dura- duration is accurate or not, unless if you're, you're able to figure out how much time you actually need for each trade in order to complete a floor 
you know, in a certain period of time. So I think it's really, it's really important to understand what is being put in front of you because uh, although it's a contract to schedule, it might not be achievable. And, you know, it, as, as well as getting delay, delays from like owner, owner changes and things like that, uh, a lot of the time contractors just fail to schedule properly. And that also creates delays and that also creates issues with uh, the reliability of your schedule. So I would definitely say being proactive, um, reviewing that schedule, really understanding it and putting it to the test is important. Um, but then also once, once you've got an understanding and you've set your, your baseline schedule and, and everything's hunky-dory, it's very important to actually stay on top of it, to really understand if uh, the work is being executed in accordance with that schedule and, and to get an understanding of where things are heading. So if you are seeing schedule slippage, rather than waiting until the project is almost beyond, you know, uh, uh, beyond saving that, that you need to get a, a claims expert in to fix, to fix things or find out what's, what's going on. It's very simple if you're, if you have scheduling resources that, that could look at, look at the performance of your work, figure out, you know, if there is a weak link. So if there's a trade that's underperforming, what that looks like for the entire project. So that you can you can use that opportunity to try and you know remedy the issues that you that you're facing. So you know, as with any project, the longer you wait to to remedy or even identify a problem that is on you that happens on your project, the opportunity to mitigate uh, disappears exponentially. So you know, the closer you get to completion, the the more unlikely you are to to correct or remedy your your delays so being proactive is key uh catching issues from onset or at the early stages of construction is key and um and, and certainly uh, understand your construction contract you'll be you'll be amazed that you know there are various contractual avenues to remedy issues that you face on your on your project um, especially from a scheduling perspective, you know whether it's whether it's issuing notices and things like that, and it often just doesn't happen. People people tend to be optimistic and listen to to what they're being told and what the schedule is showing them. But more often than not, the schedule because it is flawed and it wasn't reviewed appropriately or or or, or enough. The the schedule is only telling you what. The schedule wants to tell you, but it's not actually showing you what the real doom and gloom date is at, at the end of the project. And that's why when you get to you know your finishes on the higher levels of a tower, you tend to see slippage of you know one week to two weeks every month because your schedule is starting to realize that it it no longer can tell you a lie, and everything starts to push out to where it eventually will be. So. Yeah, I think that that's the single that's that's the single best advice I could probably uh, give anyone is really understand your schedule, really understand whether it is actually constructible, um, and and if you're not able to scrutinize it, find somebody who who understands boots on the ground how they would build it from start to finish, um, and that should give you some level of confidence on whether or not your schedule is achievable or. Um, you know, whether it makes sense um, 
I think it's, it's probably the best place to start. Isn't it often the way it's often quality over quantity? And the problem I often see is clients work on the quantity basis. They go, oh, there's 3,000 lines in the schedule. It must yeah. be right. And then you look and you're going, well, it's a heritage facade. There's really iffy shoring. Yeah. And you've got to try and form up through that building and you've got four lines for the heritage facade and shoring combined and then 3,000 lines for the rest of the building. Is that an indication that that's the bit the person who did the schedule really understood or is that just an underappreciation of them really focusing on what is critical, which is if you lose a year up front, you can never gain that back? No, I would say that in many instances, schedule schedulers have a tendency to overcomplicate schedules I mean, it's, it's like anything. So the more detail you give somebody, the more it proves that you understand the work and, and that you're good at what you do. Um, I actually believe a schedule does not need to be very, very detailed necessarily, uh, unless if you are, are working on a project that allows you to track and progress and monitor work at that level. So, you know, if you have a very complex um, processing facility that needs various things in place before you can do you know, certain activities or you have shutdown windows and things like that, you might be looking at a more detailed schedule uh, because it's required. It's very time critical and it's almost like a checkbox that we need to do these things in a short period of time. And, and that, that might make sense. Um, but most of the time, a schedule can be simplified in, in a, a higher level of activities so you can look at either a level four or level three schedule that that should be sufficient for the purposes of tracking and monitoring your project you know as a developer um you know having a three thousand uh, activity schedule provides you no benefit uh, because most of the time uh, the resources allocated to update and maintain these very complex schedules just don't have the time to do it. And it's either done poorly or it's not done at all. And then at the end of the day, you, you have you know, a, uh, a garbage in, garbage out situation. And you know, wh where do you go from there? You already established a very complex schedule. It's very difficult to go from that to sort of claw back and, and oversimplify it again. So, um, but having said that, it's some projects need more detail some don't but you have to choose the level of detail that makes sense for the purposes of that schedule i mean if you are a developer or an owner you don't really need to see you know every single uh, activity in a 5000 activity schedule you only care about are the main scopes of work or the main areas or maybe room by room does that satisfy, you know, your sort of tracking and monitoring of the work so that you have confidence in when you can take delivery of your project? Other than that, there's, there's no need to scrutinize any further. Yeah, and then the only thing I want to touch on is on the first part that we very gently touched on renovation. So, Ray, I know we've left you quiet for a little bit, <laughs> but you've spoken before about raising the roof on industrial, and I know in Calgary there's a lot of discussion on office conversion to to residential. Ray, do you see that side continuing then? Duane, I just wanted to have you touch on first principle approaches for some unique projects, maybe the difference in approach. Yeah. So Ray, if you want to touch on some background to what's happening and then Duane can touch on the, uh, the actual solutions. Yeah, I, 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 Marla, I feel that I, over the last 
few podcasts, I've started to channel you a little bit more. It's all about the performance. It's all about the, the cash flow. So we can look at raising the roof on industrial that it was a lot more sort of perhaps common uh, a number of years ago to increase the, the height of the, um, the, the industrial building to allow for more storage and more stacking. But when you look at the, the cost and labor increases over the last little while, it's, it's not as feasible, especially when you're looking at uh, costs on a per, a per square foot basis, north about you know 325 a square foot. Financially, it doesn't make any sense anymore. So you're better off looking at alternative um, sort of older buildings or if you want to locate in sort of outside of of the the the, the metropolitan area as as alternatives and from a conversion standpoint it's the same thing especially with the older buildings that actually it may cost more based on the space configurations that you need and as well as um, how you need to bring in certain services within the building. And more often than not, you're, you're probably better off just tearing down the building and starting from, from scratch to get the proper layouts that, that you you may need, um, especially if you're converting anything from like, like office to residential. That's why we haven't really seen that that big swing, even though that we have, like with respect to Calgary, high office vacancy rates, that it has to make financial sense. So I'm not really sure if that's going to change anytime soon, but we are seeing sort of, um, especially with uh, with um, the the increase in resource prices over the last month or so, that um, Alberta is looking better and better from from a financial and economic standpoint. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the continued movement with with the costs, and as well as whether or not the, the rents can keep up with the escalations and um, whether or not we hit some sort of economic um, um, recession and what that does to the expectation on pricing. Yeah, so I think me and Ray both agree, conversions and uh, major rentals and whatnot tend to be very complicated, extremely expensive. I'm not sure I have to classify it as crazy to go ahead with it, but Duane, on your side, when you're doing a schedule and you and, the, and a client's looking at scheduling that, I find on the rental side, people are even more optimistic sometimes yeah. than the greenfield side. Is that something you see? And then the solution to how you deal with these one-off, because each conversion is unique. It's not It's not like any two are the same. So, uh, I'm, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think people are a lot more optimistic, uh, a lot more aggressive, because they believe that the structure is there. Uh, they, they always believe that, you know, it's, they're, they're going to go in there it's going to be like a blank canvas on the inside. But in reality, um, it's, it's not uncommon. As soon as that first, you know, partition wall goes down and they realize, you know, that there's some services they can't relocate or, you know, especially on, on, on projects where there's limited to no um, rec- as-built records. So that's when you start seeing like the site conditions, uh, change orders coming in, and then your schedule slips like for this issue and then it slips for that issue. And and all of them, actually, all of the projects that we've seen, um, there was just this level of optimism where where it was, you know, a lot more aggressive than 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 building a new build. But I but I almost feel as if it's it's more complex. So you are dealing with existing uh, an, an existing structure with probably with a lot of secrets behind the walls and and above the ceiling. 
And until you've done, and I, and I know that that some of these projects, there are some degree of investigation, I think investigations that take place before the work is even awarded to a contractor to provide a schedule. Um, but I don't think enough enough emphasis is placed on the fact that there are so many unknowns to unknown unknowns that you can't really schedule aggressively. You actually have to have a caveat with every single activity so i mean we we have seen recently on on a project in toronto um it was a um a science building conversion that or, or was a sports or a multi-purpose hall that went into you know laboratories but um it, i think the schedule overrun by three times the amount because there was no assumptions put on on any of the duration so yes there was a, a site study done and and theoretically you know if everything was as 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 they thought um they probably could have done the work in the same amount of time but but there were no assumptions provided so their durations were were assumed that they will not run into any issues but i think that that's flawed you have to always think you know okay so there, there is likely some mechanical equipment or something behind here that needs to be relocated so let's say if it isn't there, it's a three-month duration. If we have to re relocate it, it's a six-month duration. And if you actually build these scenarios into your schedule, that and, and again, this is how you do risk schedule risk analysis um, on on any project. So if you look at the at the optimistic assumption and what the duration looks like for that, and then you look at the the worst case scenario, like you're going to find all the issues. While while you do you're, while you're working on this activity, what is the longest possible duration it's going to take? And normally it's for somewhere in the middle. So if if you at least understand what your worst case is, then you know you can give a owner or or a developer or somebody a worst case scenario that if everything uh, falls apart or, or we run into all the issues that we've anticipated this is your your new completion date um and i think that that's on a on a building where there's so many unknown unknowns that's probably the best place to start you know where you are uh under promising with the hopes of over delivering um yep. so and and i think in those instances you might start seeing projects that deliver ahead of schedule because you weren't optimistic at the beginning because I know in the ideal world, nobody wants to, you know, wants to approach an owner and say, well, we think it's going to take three times as long as, as what the next person is going to tell you. But I think if you can put down sound assumptions on why you're saying it will never be completed in this very optimistic duration, I think people might be open to that. If you can demonstrate to them that, you know, it's, it's very optimistic. Um, well, I think the private sector is always built a little bit on optimism because that's the yeah. only way we'd ever get anything built. There has to be a little bit of risk-taking. But I think we all agree that the, the renovation conversion projects, I mean, if I was a developer, I wouldn't be sleeping very well till they're finished. Yeah. I don't remember the last renovation project that did not go over budget or over schedule. And it's on the private side, that's difficult. On the public side, hey, they just keep printing money so they don't seem to care. So we're not going to fix that side of it. They just need a reason they can explain why they went over budget. No, we'll call it escalation. We'll call it, you know, it rained yeah. on Tuesday, the, therefore we lost four months, that sort of stuff. 
and that, and that's exactly after being being after the fact. So you know, if they were if they were a little pessimistic and they built in some risk uh, in terms of you know additional time and potentially additional costs that they might incur, it, it wouldn't be such a big surprise after the fact. Um, yeah, and I think part of the challenge now is we're getting a lot of projects that are not necessarily renovation, but with the heritage component, the fact that any anyone sneezes near a building remotely famous yeah. in Toronto, they designate it as famous, yeah. as heritage. Basically, the ugliest buildings are now getting designated as heritage. I would have thought most people in the neighborhood would actually like it torn down, but yeah. I suppose that's what happens when you're in this city. But I, I think that's the challenge on the private side is we're getting into that quasi space now where there's a little bit of renovation, a little bit of new, and that's when it gets really complicated because those two worlds come together now at the same yeah. time. Well, and, and exactly that. So you also have a very uh, a building that, that probably doesn't perform very well in terms of what's required from an environmental standpoint to, to heat and light um, and to incorporate that in a, you know, an old brick facade that you know that used to be a you know some kind of a factory in toronto that there are a lot of challenges with that because you're trying to preserve that facade but but meanwhile you're trying to build something beautiful and modern on the inside it 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 certainly comes with a lot of challenges um but you know if there was a way that you could potentially knock it all down if it's not that important and just rebuild it you're probably a lot better off you know if you were able to um, let's say, uh, preserve that facade by not using the original facade, but rebuilding it in exactly the same spec and aesthetic, you might actually end up with a much nicer building. Um, I think, you know, obviously for me, buildings like stonework that, that you can't really recreate because it's, it's weathered with time and all of that, that might be a different story. But I am seeing uh, in Toronto, like the preservation of these old brick factories that um I, I don't know I, I don't think that they are aging aging the best but they certainly give people a big challenge you know, preserving those and, and trying to make something beautiful out of them on the inside yeah heritage consultants that tend not to like cost consultants we're oversimplistic in our view on what is actually valuable hence the fact we need heritage experts because we just tear it all down so it's a good thing yeah i think <laughs> I, I think the challenge is it, it used to be you could t remove a facade, take it down piece by piece, label each brick, put it in a warehouse, bring it back. That was yeah. from a schedule and a construction point of view was much more, I wouldn't say simplistic, but a lot more reasonable to try and anticipate. A lot less, a lot yeah. less unknown unknowns. Yeah, the challenge we have now is the city of Toronto is worried that someone's either going to steal that building while it's in a yeah. warehouse or the developer might lose the six-story building somewhere. So they like you to keep it in place and cause mass havoc with traffic and productivity instead. Um, so one of the things um, that was been discussed in the sort of the, the, the prep side for this was something about a 360 video diary. And I just wanted to oh, touch right. on that yeah. before we then talk on some of the what happens once we have these development delays. So what, we'll do the solutions and we'll do a quick thing with Ray yourself on the impacts. But there was mention of a 360 video diary. What is that? I actually have no idea either. So so it's actually it's actually a very cost-effective tool that gives uh, owners and uh, and developers and 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 anybody any project stakeholder the ability to document progress on site in time intervals. So so it's very uh, it's it's actually quite simple technology. It's a it's a relatively affordable uh, 360 camera that you mount mount to your helmet. Um, you the software is basically um, 
uh, or you upload your floor plan so you get the site layout and then you you do tell like the software where you're starting your capture and it sort of builds together a visual 3d model as you walk through the building so you could do uh, a visual or, or a virtual walk through the site at any given time that you have taken a uh, a or, or I've done a capture of the site as as they call it. So in my mind, that is, is the best uh, record of progress that you could have in your pocket. So uh, not only can you allow people to visit your site virtually, so you don't need to arrange for people to come to your site, do safety inductions, all of that. You can take them to the location. They can look in all. Uh, areas. I mean, it's not actually 360 degrees. Uh, it's it's a sphere, so you can look down, you can look up, um, and you can you can see everything that's going on on site. And and what what we're using it for is um, actually claims defense. So the the owners normally have the um, or are the underdog, if you want, in a claim situation because they don't have the site records that a contractor has have. They haven't been on site daily. So they, they can't necessarily produce the evidence to defend themselves against these claims. So more often than not, it's, you know, if it's fair and reasonable, we'll pay the money because we can't say otherwise. But with this site diary uh, that you have in time intervals, you can walk in the areas on site that, you know, that has been uh, subject to a claim or a delay, and you can walk through that same area across time to see what actually happened. And you might see that uh, there, there might have been materials stored in that area by another trade and therefore work didn't progress. And, and you can start, and, and even if the claim is legitimate, you could very easily prove that it's fine, that yes, the, the owner might have caused some kind of a disruption on the project. And you can, you can issue, you know, the amount owed and, and there's no further argument. So you're potentially eliminating very expensive litigation fees. Um, and, and also I think it's just the element of dealing with, but we are, we are now working um, more remote than ever. So, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing clients that are, or own organizations that, that have their staff distributed across various different geographic areas. But now with this technology, they're able to bring expertise on different sides of the organization to visit their site without actually having to fly them there or, or, or you know, spend a lot of time in the car just to look at an issue and come up with a solution. And I think we're going to see more and more of this technology because it is becoming completely like flawless. It's, it's, it's so easy to use. The technology is fairly simple. It's just a camera on a hard hat. And I think it's only a matter of time until, you know, we find a way, uh, I think at the moment, using things like drones uh, to perhaps do that for you might not be the safest thing, especially with materials and people moving around on site. So we definitely need a human element of that right now. But it, I think that it is a very good record for an owner to have. And and even if it even if it doesn't get used in a claims defense situation, you have an as-built record of all of the rough-ins and services that are behind your walls. You no longer have to tear up a drywall or partition wall to see what's behind there. You can just flip back on that same wall, 
you know, on the calendar when the captures happen. And you can see where the conduits are put in place. You can see where gas pipes or water pipes are, what the services and the ceilings look like. And the more interesting thing is it's actually, uh, it actually integrates to BIM. Um, so if you have a, if you have a BIM model on your project, it can tie into, um, or, or semi automatically updating progress. So it can recognize various components in BIM that has progressed. And you can also use that for 4D scheduling to update your schedule. So, so you really have a holistic sort of, um, plan in your BIM model of how theoretically you should have built it in what amount of time versus when it was actually built. Um, and, but you can visually see as the, the work progresses and it's, it's very interesting stuff. And I think I could probably talk about that for, for many hours on end and, and, and definitely show, show a demonstration. Um, but it is, it is very interesting technology and I think it is, uh, cost effective. Um, and, I don't see a reason why an owner or a a developer wouldn't have that on all of their projects. Yeah, so I think the conclusion that most of the solutions is you need to be very, very proactive. You need a solutions-based consultant, and people need to move away <laughs> from this rear view mirror looking and trying to yeah. fight things. And I know on changes, because my team do quite a lot of change review and whatnot, trying to fight something two years after it happens, like yeah. smashing your head against the wall, get records. So more proactive, the better. So what we'll do is we'll just finish off quickly just because we've done is this whole session has been way too positive, the second one. Let's talk about what happens when these schedules go wrong because there is a development issue. Like what happens on an industrial and office project, Ray, when these things get delayed and you're trying to get a tenant and the tenant can't move in or you can't finish on time? Well, the, the challenge, and it's interesting that you bring up with uh, industrial, because in, in Toronto alone, the the, the industrial availability rates at one point two percent. So it's, it's it's very difficult for them to have that flexibility. Or oh, can I stay in this space for an additional three to six months, right? And that has to be managed um, accordingly. So I, I I think. There's certain, it, it sort of helps a little bit if you're in existing um, um, owner building and you're moving into um, a new one that they're building and you, you can range it. The challenge is that when you're going from a sale of a building into a newer building and, and that building's not not um, not complete yet. So the, the, the whole aspect is, is, is communication, and especially with the delay with, with materials, you know, industrial is is known for the whole um, some of the logistical challenges, so they shouldn't be surprised about it. But I think it's it's a it's a it's a bit of a concern. And same thing with uh, some of the the plans with um, with the other commercial products in retail and office. There's a certain expectation in in being able to you know either have a fresh start after the pandemic with new space and those type of delays um, are also costing in, in a way of the relocation costs and, and other sort of plans. So it really cascades when you have a scheduling issue with a new project or a renovation or even the, the improvement of the, the space is really impacting strategy. So what we're starting to see is some of that impact. And again, what we said earlier with that need to be in sort of that more suitable space with the pandemic, allowing for other amenities and so on and so forth, 
that causes some of those challenges that that um, is starting to sort of stack up and is more concerned with a market such as industrial where you don't have the flexibility, you can't move into another building for for six to nine months, especially based on the size and based on requirements. So when we're seeing these type of delays, it really has an impact on, on the market on, on both the, the tenant side and the owner side. Yeah, and on the residential side, it leads to cancellations. It's the biggest cause of cancellations, especially on the approval side. And for anyone that's seen my market presentations, I touch on that in a lot more detail, how municipal approvals have led to delays in projects and ultimately caused cancellations and are the most likely cause of a cancellation is around scheduled delays. And it kind of touches then to the point, if all these asset types are impacted, I find, as a closing remark, schedule isn't dealt with with the same level as, as I would say, cost is. People tend to be obsessed more with the cost than they are the schedule, when if you look at it, they are equal risks, if not time actually being the bigger risk, because time will ultimately may end up with your project cancelled, may end up with you bankrupt, may may end up with the trade no longer functioning. Cost is just part of that journey that ties into time. And I find, um, to Dwayne's point uh, in the last session, a lot of people are not spending enough time actually really looking at the quality of the schedule. They're obsessed with the quantity of line items, and it's how good the schedule is, not necessarily um, how many line items you have on it. And one of the funny anecdotes we'll just put on this as we're at the end is this is actually the third time we've rescheduled this because Duane hasn't been able to make it to the other three <laughs> due to scheduling issues. So I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. And Duane is actually in a coffee shop right now because he miscalculated how long it was going to be to get home. <laughs> so he's doing well. I know you were stuck down in San Antonio. Was it last week? You went to the yeah. event? Scheduling so. issues. Air, Air Canada, Air Canada canceled all of, all of their routes to Dallas at that time, and we were just left high and dry. So I think in that situation, there was no way for us to actually anticipate uh, a complete cancellation. But as you said, delays lead to cancellation. So it makes complete sense, even in airlines. You get to see part of Texas. So (laughs) you got a little bit of a tour out of anyway. I mean, Ray's traveled halfway across America this year playing golf or presentations. I'm not sure which one it was he was doing, but... So I think on that note, we can probably end. And it's all about being proactive. So thank you, Dwayne, for joining us today. I think it's been a great couple of sessions. Thank you, as always, Ray. I think the next episode, we're going to be talking about inclusionary zoning, which should be a very fun subject. So thank you very much. Everyone have a great day. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you.